Praise the Lord. All right. Well, as I told the children, today we began what is called in the church the season of Advent. And that word Advent's derived from the Latin word Adventus. Adventus. And that's literally the Latin word for coming. It's the exact Latin equivalent for the Greek word parousia. Parousia is used in Scripture to, re- to refer to our Messiah's second coming. And so early in the church, there were those who recognized what the Lord said was we are to acknowledge this and pay attention to it. We're to make sure we are all ready for when He's coming. And so I called this message, Be Ready. Be Ready. And this season of Advent marks the beginning of the Christian year. This is the new year in the Christian calendar, except in the Eastern churches because their new year begins September 1st. And I'm not going to go into all that, just so you know, we look at it as the first, this is the beginning of the year. The use of an evergreen wreath and lighting candles is often used to celebrate each of the four weeks of Advent. And this practice began long before Christians adopted it. The uh, German Christians, most uh, Lutherans will recognize, began this practice of using the wreath and the candles. But this started, as I said, long before Christians used it. That pagan rituals often included lighting candles to imitate the sun. And uh, lighting them in an evergreen wreath was to signify hope for the return of the sun in the midst of winter. This is how it got adopted into the Christian church. As God's children, we celebrate each Sunday in this church season to joyously declare the hope of our salvation. And what is that hope? But that Christ is coming again. And not only is He coming again, but He's bringing us to Himself, and we will reign with Him forever. We also proclaim the return of God's anointed one for judgment. We don't like that idea, but that's the truth of it. The season of Advent proclaims a dual reminder. First, it reminds us of the original waiting and preparation that was done by the Hebrews for the birth of the Messiah. They waited for Him. He was coming, He was foretold, and they waited for Him. Well, at least some of them did. And that was part of the problem, because when he arrived, they didn't recognize him. They didn't know that it was him. Secondly, the season of Advent reminds us of the waiting that the followers of the Messiah endure today as we prepare for his return. That's historically what Advent was celebrated for. It wasn't about looking back at the birth of this one we call Jesus. It was not about that, but it became about that because that feels better than looking forward to His return. And after all, He's been gone for a couple of thousand years and might be gone for a couple of thousand more. Nobody knows. Or maybe we see the signs and we don't like them. But the fact remains, in the church, the church season of what we call Advent was to prepare believers for His return. And this is why it signifies the beginning of the year. We are to look always for His return. We are always to be ready. 
Advent's a time of repentance, which is turning to God, changing our mind about sin. What better way to start the new year? Think more positively about God's commands. And it's also a time of preparation for His return and a time of hopeful expectation. We expect Him to return. We're not just prepared, we're expecting Him to return. And I want you to keep this in mind as we read from the 24th chapter of Matthew's gospel record. We'll begin reading at verse 36, Matthew 24, verse 36, and then uh, we're going to read through 44. But before we do, I want us to pray. I've got water in my ear, and I'm having trouble hearing myself. Father, I yield to you for your use today. You can take this imperfect vessel. You can give me unction to speak what each of us needs to hear. And somehow by your Spirit, you can impose upon us what it is that you want for us to receive from this message. (coughs) Please open our eyes and ears. Help us give you the glory that's due to your name. Help us to worship you alone, Lord, in the beauty of holiness. That's what's written in Psalm 29 and verse 2. And so, Lord, as we go forward in this message, we ask that you and you alone would be worshiped. I pray this all in Christ's name. Be with those who will be listening online, Lord, now and later. Amen. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 24, as I said, beginning at verse Was it 36? I know we've got it on the screen up there. If you want to read in the Bible, you can open your Bible there to page 1533. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming, and an hour you do not expect. God, please make your word live within us. Help us, Father, to comprehend what it is that you have for us today. And all of God's people said, Amen. What were the days of Noah like? Anybody? What were the days of Noah like? Because he says, as in the days of Noah, so is it going to be when he's coming. What were the days of Noah like? Dylan. wickedness, changing the genetics of the human being. 
was taking place in the days of Noah. Do you know that's happening right now? Do you know that this is as in the days of Noah? The human DNA is being altered deliberately, intentionally, all over the world, though. I'm going to go into all that. I don't want to get into that. But I want you to understand, we are there. We've arrived. He said, as in the days of Noah. Not only was the human genetics being modified, but sin was rampant on the earth. Lawlessness abounded. Iniquity out of control. It all prevailed. And then he said something else that really, like, clued me in. Because there were some in the church throughout the last 500 years or so, and more like the last 200, that have taken this passage and they've twisted it. He said it was going to be like in the days of Noah when what? At the time of the flood. Okay, what was it like at the time of the flood? Who was taken in the flood? Let's just go there. Who was taken in the flood? Everybody but eight people were taken away in the flood. Why were they taken away? Because of wickedness. Exactly. In Matthew 24 and verse 39, it's written that they didn't know. They didn't know until the flood came and took them all away so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. They had no idea. They were clueless until they were gone. And I've done some messages on that, and and I've thought about the people whenever the water started to get ankle deep and then waist deep and then neck deep and how they would have been wailing, weeping, screaming, let me in, pounding on the ark until it lifted up and drifted off. And how long did that wailing go on? The strongest of the strong were able to swim for a while, hang on to something, until they all were destroyed. But that passage that we just read, it tells us something there. And there's not many that like the message because it contradicts their doctrine. The day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as in the days of Noah, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. Everything was as normal. It was all day-to-day business. They were doing what they always did. And they didn't know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken Who were taken in the flood? The evil people. The wicked were taken away in the flood. Well, two will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. Well, who do you think he's referring to there? Do you think he's talking about the righteous people being taken? He says, as in the days of Noah, that's how it's going to be. The wicked are going to be taken. And I think we're going to see that in our lifetime. I would pray not but I suspect. All the Scripture readings today, you know, I had John read, Sherry read, and, and, uh, and uh, forgive me, Charlie, your, your name popped out of my head. I had it. 
I know Charlie very well. I, I, I know his name, but I'm tired. I gave them readings that were related to the idea of what we're talking about. They remind us of who we are before we rehearse the story of Christ's first coming, because it's been rehearsed over and over and over for hundreds of years. The story of Christ's first coming is rehearsed. Let's face it, you've all heard it. I doubt that there's anybody in here, maybe some of the young children, who haven't heard the whole story that was been rehearsed within the church. Humankind lives in spiritual darkness, and we need the light of Christ. And this is what makes that story that we rehearse so wonderful, because here came light into the world. And so we rehearse that story. We remind everybody, God promised the Messiah. He sent the Messiah. Not everybody was ready, but those who were came into His fold, became a part of His family. The readings also remind us that Christ promised to return. They remind us to live expecting and preparing for Christ's return at any moment. Any moment. John, do you guys want to use the nursery room? Okay. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. That's all right. I have that effect on some children. Amen. Amen. The Scriptures remind us to live our lives expecting and preparing for Christ's return. We're not to ignore it. You see, that's what happened. Noah was preaching. He was a man of righteousness, and he was preaching righteousness. He was preaching repentance, and the whole world said no. And he and seven others were saved. The 24th chapter of Matthew records Christ's foretelling several things. The different kinds of calamities would come upon the earth and the destruction of the Jewish temple. We didn't read all of that, but it's in there. If you read the 24th chapter of Matthew, you will find those ideas in there. The foretelling Christ gave that these things would happen. We know that the Jewish temple was, in fact, destroyed. The signs of His coming to judgment are to be as in the days of Noah. And we also find the duty of God's servants to watch for and expect our Master's coming, because the day and the hour are unknown. So we're to be ready every moment, not just thinking, well, you know, He's probably not going to come today, so I can do whatever I want. No, He wants us to be ready always to expect His return as if it were today. In fact, we sing a song from the hymnal, what if it were today? What if it were today? Let me see if I can find that. What if it were today? No, I'm not going to hunt it. Take too much time. What if it were today? And you think about that. Are you ready? Are you really ready? Are you really waiting for Him? Are you really prepared for His return? What will He find you doing when He returns? And this is our focus today. As we begin a few short weeks of repentance, 
preparation, and expectation. Those are three words I want you to take out of this message, folks. Repentance, preparation, and expectation. We are to expect His coming as if it were going to be right now, always. We're to be prepared as if His coming was going to be right now, always, every moment. And therefore, we will constantly turn from sin. We will be in a state of repentance, not living it up in it. Our journey begins with a picture of the end of the Jewish world. The one that we call Jesus prepared for his sacrifice. And as he did, he foretold the destruction of the world that people knew at that time. You see, because the Jewish temple was the center of their lives. Many refused to repent. They were not prepared. They were not prepared. Not at all. And they weren't expecting what he had foretold. When he said, not one stone will be left upon another, they thought, no way, that could never happen. And yet it did. And after the destruction of the temple, every stone was turned. It was turned over because they wanted to get every bit of melted gold that was in those rocks. They turned every stone over. This is a historic fact. It's not written in the Bible, but history shows us that. And then about 40 years later, the Romans, after he gave that foretelling, that prophecy, the Romans beat the last Jewish uprising. They destroyed the temple, and this decimated the center of life for those people at that time. Their religious world was turned upside down, and many still mourn the loss of that temple. There are those who believe that this temple must be rebuilt before Christ returns. I'm not one of them. And the reason I say that is, and some of you may object, and I'm sorry, but I've got to tell you, he said, we're the temple, and we reign with him. We are his temple, individually and collectively. So he doesn't need a physical temple. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. I believe that's in Hebrews somewhere. What is it? Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 or 12. I don't recall. Maybe somebody can help me. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands or buildings made with hands. The followers of Christ, the Messiah, must recall that his message transcends that time. He said, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and we see some of those things have taken place, and we're also seeing things take place now. His message of repentance and preparation and expectation is just as relevant today as it was at that moment when He gave that message, when He delivered the message to those people who were present at that time. It was, it's just as relevant today as it was then. I believe we're living in the very days that He foretold, folks. And I know that's not what you want to hear as you're preparing for this great feast and celebration and all that stuff that we do this time of year. But this is our focus today. The prophecies of Christ are designed to get our attention. He wants us to pay attention. And they stir up enough within us to change our behavior, at least that's my hope. In this day and age, we have many things that are supposed to make life easier or to help us organize. 
there to give us more free time, right? Think about it. We have machines that carry us from place to place. We have machines to do laundry, machines for refrigeration, machines for cooking, and every kind of convenience, including stores that never close. But instead of freeing time, these things have made life busier because now we can cram more things into the time that God has allotted to us. Some of these things take less time to do than they once did. And so we find something else to do in that time. So we're marrying and giving in marriage as in the days of Noah. We're busy. We're doing all the things that we do because that's what we know. This busyness distracts us from being prepared. It distracts us from that expectation of Christ's advent. It distracts us from His parousia. Each and every day we are to think about what we're doing in the light of Christ's return. And yet we're often so busy that we can't think of Christ. Where does He fit? How does He fit into my life whenever I'm busy doing this and this and this and this? And I've got a schedule, and I've got to keep that schedule because people expect me to be there. I've got places to be. I've got things to do. I've got people to see. Many people have jobs, and they've got to go to their job, and they've got to do that job, and they've got to be there for 8 or 10 or 12 or 14 hours, and some even more these days. Sometimes we're just too preoccupied. But I have to say, ask yourself this question, is this what I want to be doing when Christ returns? No matter what it is, positive or negative, Whatever it is, ask yourself this question. And of course, if it has anything to do with sin, and I can tell you these things here are leading a lot of people outside of the will of God. I know because we've watched one from time to time. And what I see is nothing short of disgusting. And it's no wonder that the world is turning the way that it is. They're being programmed with programming. That's what it's called. You think it's called that for no reason? It's programming you. It's programming everybody who fixes their eyes upon it and watches it day in and day out. And I know people that as soon as they wake up, that thing is on until they go to sleep. And they've got one in every room. I'm saying, dear God, help us. Christ warns us. If we're in the midst of sin, ask yourself, can you say that you have any sin in your life that you have not turned away from? Is there sin in your life that you have not turned away from? Because that's the message of repentance. That's the message of Christ. He came preaching, what was the first word? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. His disciples went out preaching repentance. And somehow that message has been lost on the church today. It doesn't feel good to preach repentance. You can't smile whenever you say, repent. It doesn't work that way. Because when you preach repentance, a lot of people get offended. 
Because there's doctrine out there that says you don't have to repent. There's doctrine out there in the Christian body that says once you say a little prayer, you're saved now and forever, and you don't have anything else to do, including repent. You don't have to repent. But that's not the message of the gospel. The gospel tells us we must. If you find that there's sin in your life, repent. Simple. Turn away from it. Keep turning away from it. Change your mind about it. It's not okay to live in sin according to God's Word. Walking in the light of Christ illuminates anything that's contrary to His will for your life. And so I ask, are you prepared and expecting Christ's return in the next second? Like, poof, now? Are you ready? Are you ready? If not, get right with Almighty God. Turn to Him. He will forgive. He does forgive. By the blood of Christ, you have been saved. By His stripes, you've been healed. I pray, Lord, I got a cold. Like, uh, how does that apply? Can you take this away? Absolutely. Why haven't you? You're getting my attention for some reason. Okay, I'll pay attention. We can apply our Lord's message of preparation to our lives today. He tells us not to be distracted and not to be too preoccupied with the affairs of this life, that we are to be prepared for His return. And I know you keep hearing me say that, but you've got to understand that's His message. I'm simply driving it home. He warned that as in the days of Noah, people would be occupied with too much feasting, too much drinking, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. He said humankind would be busy with the worries of this life, is essentially what he's saying. He said to watch and be alert because we do not know what hour our Lord is coming. That's written in Matthew 24 and verse 42. We read it this morning. And you must be ready because the Son of Man's coming when you do not expect Him. And that's written in verse 44. We just read that. These are clear warnings and they're instructions. See, the warning is for your protection. It's not something to condemn you. It's to give you an alert, like pay attention. It's like the big flashing sign when you're going down the highway. It says winter weather advisory. We were on I-80, and there were snowstorms coming in, and that sign started flashing, winter weather advisory. Now, it's snowing, okay? As we're driving down the road, it's snowing. And I said, gee, I'm glad they had that up there, because I wouldn't have known it was a winter, winter weather out here. But the Lord's Word is full of those kinds of things. It points us to something. It warns us of something, not to condemn us, but to prepare us. We're not to be too busy, not to be so caught up with feasting and drinking that we lose sight of our Lord. We must be ready. You know, he said, if you love him, obey his commandments. That's written in John 14, 15. We've covered that in a couple of other messages recently. And he also said in, 
It's written in John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. In these two passages, the Greek word that's rendered love there indicates an active social or moral sense of love. It's not that love that a man and wife have for one another. It's the love as your pastor has for each of you. And as your pastor, I need to share with you what God's Word says. And sometimes it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable for you, but it's not comfortable for me either. Especially if you have expectations. When you come into this building, you think, well, wait a minute. You know, what I know of church at this time of year is, whatever that is, it isn't here. But I bring you the Word of God. And I pray that it will convert your souls completely to Him, turn you to Him. He said, those who have my commandments and keep them, they're the ones that love Him. And in those passages, we know that the idea includes uh, welcoming and entertaining and being fond of and to love dearly. If you love Him, obey His commandments. In John 15, 10, it's written, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. And there, the word love comes from agape, brotherly love. It's affection and benevolence. It's used to describe our weekly luncheons, the love feasts. We have a love feast every week, as the early church did. That's why we do it. Is so that we can fellowship one with another, so that we can get to know one another. That's part of why we do what we do. It's not just because we want to feed everybody or because we all want to eat. We do those things, yes. But the idea is that we would become the family of Christ. We love one another. His message is that those who keep His commandments are those who love Him. And as such, we are prepared for His coming. Because we love Him, we're looking forward to being reunited. Or, in our cases, united with Him in the sense of the physical and the spiritual. He promises us that those who love Him will be kept continually, forever. And we covered a lot of that in the, the message series that I just came through with the eternal life, everlasting life. He'll keep us. Keeping His commandments is evidence of our true love for Christ, and it's ongoing evidence of our salvation. He tells us not to be too busy with self-indulgence and the worries of this life, otherwise you could be caught off guard. If there wasn't a concern about you being caught off guard, he wouldn't have warned, pay attention. Look at what's happening. Be ready. Be prepared. Look for his coming. If there wasn't a concern about you being caught off guard and something going wrong as a result of that, he wouldn't have warned you. As you go about your day-to-day -day life, don't worry about it. When I'm coming back, I'll just snatch you up and get you out of here. You won't have to worry about anything. But that's not what he said. Let us always be prepared. Let us always expect our Messiah's return. He's coming again. 
And the idea of Christ's coming goes beyond the doors of this building. This idea should saturate everything that we do. Christ is coming. Let's be ready. Christ is coming. Let's be ready. Let's look for His return. Let us pray, come Lord Jesus. Let us focus on what is important, and that's our relationship with God. What takes us out of relationship with God? Anybody? Sin. Number one answer, sin. Takes us out of our relationship with God. Can't have that relationship if we're living in sin. And then another idea that we can hold on to is that we can invite others to expect His return. We can introduce people to Christ as part of the evangelism aspect of the body. We are to welcome visitors into our congregation that they can be fed on the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God as well as I do, I wouldn't condemn you for that. I would simply say, bring someone in here and I can help them to learn it. But if you do know the Word of God, then part of your duty as a follower of Christ is to help others to be prepared. Christ is coming again. He's coming again. Even though the world news is bad news, the world news is not God's news. God's news is good news. And Christ's return is part of that good news. Our Creator's message asks us to be proactive. His message requires an active response. How do we respond to the message when Christ said, pay attention, be prepared, repent? Not necessarily in that order. Don't wait till the sky opens up and say, oh God, I'm sorry. You might get that chance. The world news is bad, but God's news is good. We're to be prepared in advance of Christ's return. God doesn't ask us for a reaction afterwards. I dare say that His message not only asks us to be proactive, it requires us to be watching and waiting. He instructed us exactly that way. Be watching. Be waiting. And as I wrap this up, I want to encourage you to invite others to join Christ's family. You know, I originally wrote the notes for this message in 2007. Does it sound any different than the word that you hear from me, other than the fact that it has less Scripture references than I usually use? It's not the exact same message. That was for a congregation that met here at that time in this building. But it's the message for God's people. And I asked the Lord, Lord, where am I going? We're coming into that season of Advent. People are going to have expectations. How do I do that? And he pointed me to that message. He said, start here. Because it's just as relevant today as it was in 2007. It's just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. 
The message hasn't changed. It's written in Luke chapter 21. There will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, can anybody say they have not begun to happen? He said, when these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Advent. Parousia. Christ is coming. He is coming. Are you hearing God's message? Do you know anybody who isn't? Proclaim His message of repentance and preparation and expectation as we await His return. Let us be ready and let us draw others into that same place of preparedness to be ready for His return. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, help us to be ready. Help us, Lord God. Help us to turn completely to You. Father, take away from us anything and everything that displeases You. Point it out to us, Lord, as we bowed our hearts before You right now. Anything, Lord, the littlest things, help us to be obedient to You. Help us to hear Your voice from within us. If, in fact, we are Yours, we will hear from You. Let Your Spirit, Lord, take over these mortal bodies. Guide us out of temptation into Your presence. I pray, Father, for each one within the sound of my voice that we would, in fact, be ready, that You would root Your Word within our hearts, that we would want for nothing but to please You. I pray this all in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. Now, you're going to want to be here next week for the message that I've called Waiting for Christmas. <laughs>